When the kings were afraid their soldiers might die of thirst, they sought the mysterious miracle worker, hoping for help. Instead of a promise of rain, Elisha told them to make the valley full of ditches and wait. Grab your shovels and get ready to grow with ridiculous faith. Well, I'm super glad to have all of you with us at all of our life churches and our network churches and those of you from countries all over the world joining us at Church Online. Today, we are in the second week of a four-week message series looking at the Old Testament prophet known as Elisha. If you missed last week, we talked about burning plows, leaving behind anything that would keep us from following God and moving ahead. Last week, we burned plows. Today, we're going to talk about digging ditches. And I want to give a shout out to my very good friend, Pastor Stephen Furtick. Our church loves Pastor Stephen. He wrote a book called Greater um, on the prophet Elisha. That was the book that inspired this message series. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's one that will build your faith, which is our goal in this four-week series. I'm asking God to build the faith of our church to be greater than it ever has been because we know that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So today, before we dive in, I'm wondering how many of you have ever played what I call the if-only game. You think, if only I had such and such, life would be better, easier, or I would be happier. How many have ever played all of our churches, the if-only game? If only I had uh, a better job, if only I had more money, if only I had more hair, or at least hair in the right place. You know, I got it here and here, but not here, whatever it is. You know, if only God would answer this one prayer. Uh, some lady might say, if only I had a husband. A married lady would say, if only I had a husband with a job. Someone else might say, if only I had a husband with a job who looked like Brad Pitt. I don't know what your if only would be, but throughout life, we all recognize that we have these needs, and we tend to think, if only I had whatever it is, life would be so much better. What I want to do today is encourage you to listen to this message through the lens of your greatest need, to experience the teaching of God's word through the lens of your greatest need, and it's my prayer that God would minister to you uh, in a very, very special way. Now, let me set the context for our study, then we're going to look at our main thought. The context for our study today, we're going to see that there were three kings who joined forces to do battle against the Moabites. Three against one, they thought this should be easy, we'll have a very decisive victory, but often in life, Things do not go as we planned. Who knows what I'm talking about? You think you got it figured out, and whoops, things didn't turn out the way we thought. And that's what happens with these three kings. Instead of winning easily, they find their troops marching for seven days, wandering in the desert, and they realize they are totally and completely out of water. They're about to die of thirst. Their animals are going to die of thirst. They have a very significant need. And this story is going to teach us this principle. If you're taking notes, it will be good news to many. And that is your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. 
This will be good news for many of you. Let me say it again. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Let's read our text and let it bring to light this very powerful truth. We'll start in 2 Kings chapter 3, and we'll read verses 9 through 12 to get us going. Here's what verse 9 says. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. This would be our three kings. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for their animals with them. They're in trouble. Verse 10, what, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? In other words, we thought we'd win easily, but now it looks like we're going to be destroyed. But Jehoshaphat, one of the kings, asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now, if you missed last week, Elijah mentored Elisha. And if you know about the prophet Elijah, when the nation was in a great drought, he called on God, and God sent rain from a cloud that started the size of a hand and brought one of the biggest storms from the smallest clouds. And so they're thinking, well, if Elijah did that, maybe Elisha can help us as well. Verse 12, Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with Elisha. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now, let's make sure we all know what's going on here. The three kings are going to go to battle against the Moabites, and they're going to win easily, but they do not, and they find themselves in big danger. They're out of water. Now, what you may not know is that these three kings were not serving God. They were not seeking God. And all of a sudden, when they're in trouble, they do what a lot of us do, like, oh, yeah, God, we're in trouble. Can you help us? And so they said, is there anybody who's like really in good with God? Anybody who can do a little rain dance for us? To pull some spiritual strings? And they said, oh yeah, there's Elisha the prophet. Maybe he can help us out. And surely they had heard about the miracles that Elisha was doing in this rookie year as a prophet. He had already split the Jordan, okay? Very impressive. He, he divides the Jordan River. Another time, he spoke to a polluted spring of water. Okay, you drink the water, you die. Okay, he spoke to it and healed the water so you could drink from it. The water was healthy and good. And another thing he did is when some young boys were making fun of him because evidently he didn't have a lot of hair and the young boys were calling him baldy, baldy, baldy. Elisha lost his cool and summoned two bears out of the woods, and the bears destroyed the boys. That's in your Bible. I'm not making this up. You can't make that up. You should read your Bibles. And you also should never make fun of a guy with bald head because you never know how much faith he has and how close a bear is, okay? So just don't do that. And so they're like, Elisha, can you help us out? What do you think he's going to do? Let me tell you what he's going to do. He actually cops an attitude. That's what he's going to do. He's like, okay, okay, I get it. I get it, boys. Okay. You want to ignore God. Now you're in trouble and you want some God action. Okay. I'm going to be a smart elk to you. And that's what he is. He cops 
an attitude. You may say, where did he learn this from? And honestly, he learned it from his mentor, Elijah, who was the king of attitude, okay? One time, Elijah, his mentor, uh, went to 450 false prophets who worshiped the false god Baal. And he said, boys, let's have a little contest. Let's see how big your god is. Go get two bulls, kill one, I'll kill one. We'll make a couple altars. You call on your God to send fire from heaven. If your God doesn't and my God does, then you worship my God. If your God does and my God doesn't, we'll worship your God. Let's go, boys, bring it on. And so these false prophets, they call on God, send fire, send fire, and nothing's happening. He's back laughing, chilling. Come on. He said, maybe you should shout louder. Maybe your God's deaf. Maybe your God's on vacation. He said, maybe your God's in the bathroom and can't hear you. That's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. You need to read your Bible. It's in there. Maybe your God's taking a leak in the bathroom, and that's why he can't send fire. You should read your Bible. That's in the, that last part about the leak, that's the new Craig version. But the bathroom part, <laughs> it's in the Bible, okay? And so Elisha does what Elijah did. He gets an attitude and watch it. Here's what he says in verse 13. Elisha said to the king of Israel, why do you want to involve me? Hey, you guys have been ignoring God all this time. Now you want, why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Can you hear his attitude? He's bringing a mama into it. He's like, your mama's a prophet. Why don't you go talk to your mama? You know, he's like, don't, why are you trying to involve me? Hey, this is fun. You guys having fun? You don't have fun. I, I don't want to have fun by myself. I'm going to have fun whether you are or not, so I hope you'll join me. Your mama's a prophet. That's fun. I grew up bored in church. I'm not bored today. I have fun with you or without you. Okay, so he goes on. He said, call the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Elisha said, and now he's going to be a smart aleck again. Watch this. As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. In other words, boys, you're not serving him, but I am. Just wanted to put that little dig in there, okay? As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. If I didn't have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. So he's saying to the two kings, okay, Jehoshaphat, he's not serving God, but he did it one time, fear God. So if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't have even time to pay any attention to you other two. That's what I think about you. But because Jehoshaphat's here, I've decided to help you out. You need a prophet, I'm your prophet. Then in verse 15, he makes a demand, and he says, but now bring me a harpist. Okay, boys, if you want me to prophesy... I need some mood music. <laughs> Give me a harpist. Go get me the biggest and most difficult instrument to move and bring it in here and get me somebody who's good and play me some music if I'm going to prophesy, which is funny to me. Now, you may say, that's like really demanding, but the reality is this was not an uncommon practice 
for prophets to do. They, there's something about when you worship God through music and he inhabits the praises of his people. For those of you who are followers of Christ, there's something special that happens when your heart drifts toward him and adoration and praise and worship. In fact, when I prepare messages, I put worship music on and, and it helps me connect to God. When I'm praying for something really big and just want my faith to grow, I put worship music on and it connects me to God. And so that's what Elisha does. He's like, play the harp. And, and so the three kings are there going, okay, he's going to give us a word of encouragement. He's going to tell us God is going to send rain. I can feel the music playing. This is going to be good. And what does he do? Does he bring them a word of encouragement? No. He gives them a ridiculous command. Verse 15 and 16. Then it happened. When the music played, then the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus says the Lord. Read it aloud with me. What did he say? He said, Make this valley full of ditches. Huh? Wait, 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 wait. I thought God was going to make it rain, and we were going to take our shoes off and run through the puddles and enjoy the rain. And you're telling me when my troops are about to die of thirst, you want them to do manual labor under the hot desert sun. And God said, yeah, I want them to dig some ditches. But there's no sign of rain anywhere. We're in a severe drought. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want you to dig some ditches. And we're gonna see that your greatest need often becomes your greatest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Verse 17, for this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. Verse 18, this is cocky. He says, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, you have no idea how powerful, how strong, how mighty our God is. At the snap of the fingers, our God can do this. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. And oh, by the way, you know that thing you wanted, that other thing? Yeah, he's going to do that as well. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. But first... I want you to dig some ditches. There's the context of our story. And what I want to do in the rest of our time together is I want to try to apply this directly to our lives. What does that mean for us today? And I put a subtitle in your notes, uh, Faith That Works. Everybody say, Faith That Works. Come on, you guys in Fort Worth, you guys in Albany, come on, Florida, give me a little love. Everybody say it with me. What are we talking about? We're talking about faith that works. Now, there's a play on words here that is intentional. I'm talking about faith that is effective. In other words, that faith that moves the heart of God and it invokes a response from God. I'm talking about faith that works. At the same time, I'm not just talking about faith that is effective, but I'm also talking about faith that is active, faith that works, Faith that does something. 
faith that so believes that God is going to act, that we act and take a step toward God, believing that God is going to take a step toward us. And let me show you two principles of faith that works. The first one, this is so good, I don't know if you will be able to contain yourself because it gets me really excited. If you're taking notes, here it is. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Let me, let me say it again because uh, this crowd is really, really quiet, and I don't know what's going on here because I'm about to release some spiritual caffeine. <laughs> I just did it, and it's just, it just, it's just getting into your veins because this is really engaging. Let me say it again. The caffeine is boiling, and you're waking up, and you're excited to be in God's presence. Here it is again. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Oh, I can feel it starting to happen in a place. Here's what James says in James 2.26. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without what? Somebody say it aloud. So is faith dead without good works. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants to see your faith. He wants you to dig a ditch. Do you really think that the God of the universe needed these boys out there digging a ditch? No, 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 no. God could do anything. God could be like, ditches everywhere. Do you see that? <laughs> ditches everywhere. Lakes, oceans. I mean, God could do that. He didn't need them to do it. But instead, it's almost as if he was saying, you show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness. You show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness. Because God loves to see our faith. All over the New Testament, you'll see it again and again. The Bible will say, when Jesus saw their faith. How do you see faith? Like, if I'm praying, do you see faith? You're like, I'm praying. You're like, oh, man, do you see the faith smoke rising from his brain? You, you don't see that. You see faith in action. When Peter was on the boat and said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come and I'll come. And Jesus said, come. What did Peter do? He got out of the boat. That's when you see faith, okay? Other 11 boys, you didn't see no faith. The guy that got out of the boat, you could see his faith. I believe there are many times when God wants to see us participate in his miracle. It's still his miracle, but he wants us to participate. Again and again in the Bible, New Testament, there's a guy with a withered hand. What does Jesus say to him? Stretch out your hand. In other words, I can heal you, but I want to see you believe it. What could Jesus have done? Jesus could have gone, Jesus power, and is healed. <laughs> he could have done that. But instead, he said, I'm going to heal you, but I want to see your faith to stretch out your hands. Another time in the Bible, there was a guy uh, who couldn't walk for years and years and years and years, his whole life. Jesus looks at him and says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. I'm going to heal you, but I'm not going to pick you up. I want to see you have the faith to believe that what I said is true. Get up. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. There was a guy who was blind from birth, and Jesus goes up and, and picks up some dirt, and he spits in it. Then he rubs it, makes mud, and puts it on the guy's eyes. Let's just say what it is, what you're thinking. That's nasty, okay? It's nasty. It worked. It's nasty. Okay. Jesus says, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. In other words, I'm going to do my part. I want to see you do yours. You show me your faith, 
I'll show you my faithfulness. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I believe there are too many people who are like just waiting for God to show them their faithfulness, but they're not showing God any faith. You take a step of faith. You want to quit smoking? Maybe you just throw your cigarettes in the garbage on the way out and say, there's some faith. I'm getting rid of those things. You want to heal a relationship that's gone bad? You may forgive before someone else even asks for forgiveness or treat someone with love when all they're doing is they're being ugly to you. What's that? You're digging a ditch. I know a lot of people are like, I want my kids to serve Jesus and be strong Christians. And they don't bring them their kids to Connect Plus or they don't bring their kids to Switch. Or they never open up the Bible in their own home to share God's word with their kids or never pray with their children. It's like, you want some water? Well, dig a ditch. Be a godly parent. Do something. People say, well, I want more money. I want more money. Christians all the time. And yet they do not tithe. God gives us a ridiculous principle. Yes, absolutely, completely, to the human mind, totally absurd and ridiculous. And that is if we give him our first and our best, he will bless the rest. And those of you who are tithers, you know the supernatural power of God that 90% with his blessings goes further than 100% without. It is crazy, but it is true. What are you doing? You're digging a ditch when you feel like you need more. You're actually giving unto God, and you watch as he proves himself faithful. Sometimes you got to dig a ditch. Only he can send the water, but he wants you to dig the ditch. I know a lot of single guys are like, oh, man, I want a wife, I want a wife, I want a wife. God, send me a wife. You're sitting on your butt at home waiting for some smoking babe to knock on your door carrying a Bible go, hey, you big stud, take me to church or lose me forever. <laughs> and God's looking at you going, brush your teeth, iron a shirt, sell your Xbox, move out of your mom's basement, get a full-time job. Ask somebody out. Buy some flowers. Get involved in your church. Only God can send the babe, but you got to brush your own teeth. Oh, where do you get good stuff like that? <laughs> Speaking of that, you having fun? It's okay to have fun, huh? It's okay to have fun. If you're not having fun, I'm about to have real fun. I got a good buddy. His name is Rodney. We've been playing tennis together for like 20 years. Guy's in his early 50s, but the dude's like he's, like, he's like in shape like he's in his 30s. And he's a great, godly guy. I mean, I can vouch for his integrity. And Rodney really wants a wife. He'd be a great husband. He'd be a great dad. Problem with Rodney is he didn't ask anybody out. I mean, like years. He has, he has not asked anybody out. So I told Rodney, so Rodney, you got eight weeks. Eight weeks, two months. 62 days to do something we agreed upon, which would be taking a step toward what could possibly become a wife. Rodney, dig a ditch. If you don't do it, on Elisha week two, you will be a sermon illustration. Being a man of integrity, I had to do what I said I'd do. Rodney, you should have dug your ditch. If you're wondering what Rodney looks like, in case you may want to go out with him, here is a picture of Rodney. He is the guy behind the racket. 
Rodney, all you had to do was dig a ditch and you wouldn't be a sermon illustration. So ladies, if you're kind of in his range, you know, give or take seven years earlier or older, and you think Rodney behind that racket might be kind of cute, and you would like to meet him and help faithless Rodney dig a ditch, you let me know, I'll give you both a couple of shovels and we'll see what God does. <laughs> Maybe you can dig a ditch and let God fill it with babies or water or whatever God does after you're married, okay? <laughs> Only God can send the water, but somebody else help me out. What, what, what do you need to do? Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. The second principle, if you're taking notes, is this. Real faith believes big but is willing to start small. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. I know too many people who call themselves Christians that are not thinking big enough. We serve a God who can do exceedingly and abundantly more than all you can ask, think, or imagine. It's time to think big. We serve that big of a God. I know just as many who won't think big and yet at the same time they are not willing to start small. Think about this. How do you dig a ditch? How do you dig a ditch? If you're in the ninth century, how do you dig a ditch? You take a shovel, pop, pop, one load of dirt at a time, right? What do you do? You start small. You start small. Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise these what? Somebody help me out. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Sometimes you have to start small. There may be some of you who've got a big vision, and where are you going to start? You're going to start small. You're going to start with what is in front of you. You're going to be faithful with what God has given you. You're going to start small. In fact, I've got a few stories of people that I know. I love their faith. One of them is a gal named Savannah who wanted to do something very special to help families who had special needs children. And what she realized is that all over there are these families who cannot go to church because the needs of their family are greater than the ability of churches to meet. And so these families either don't go to church or they have to go to church um, separately. And she thought, someone needs to do something about this. There are so many like this, and I want to make a big difference. But she didn't know how to make a big difference. So guess what she did? She started small. And she found one family and said, can I help take care of your son so you can go to church together? And she uh, became a part of this family. In fact, here's a picture of her actually baptizing uh, this child. Very, very special moment. Love it in every way. And people saw what she was doing and thought, I'd like to do that as well, and I'd like to do that as well. And the families with children um, uh, similar to this, they know each other, and they started talking. And now at my Life Church location, there are over 50 people who serve over 50 families that can now be a part of a church family because somebody was willing to start small. How do you do something big? You start small. 
I love the story about Richard. I met Richard at Life Church Hendersonville, Tennessee, a couple of months ago when I went to visit there. Richard weighed a little while ago 426 pounds. And the doctors told Richard, if you don't lose the weight, you're never going to have a kid. Uh, you're going to die uh, before you're out of your 30s. You're in bad health. And so Richard decided to go to church, but he was nervous to go in because he was self-conscious. And while sitting out in the parking lot, very afraid, he heard a voice on the inside that said, I can't fix your outside till you let me fix your inside. And he walked into church and he gave his life to Christ and God started to do a work on the inside. Well, he went home and after binge eating a whole box of cereal, he put in his very first workout DVD and he did his first workout. And one workout became two a week and then three a week. Then he entered into a CrossFit com uh, competition where the prize was $100,000 for the winner. Not only did he win the prize, but he got down to 184 pounds in only 18 months. Here is a guy that made a big change but was willing to start small. Now, Richard travels around the United States and helps other people to realize to do big things, you've got to start small, and he talks to them about the love of Jesus and how Jesus has impacted his life. You may say, well, Craig, it's easy for you to talk about, you know, starting small. You know, you're a pastor at Life Church. You never had to start small. No, do not forget what you see at all these different places in a ministry that were, by the grace of God, is impacting significant number of lives. It all started with 40 people in a two-car garage. I want to give you permission to think big, but empower you to start small. In fact, we started much smaller than the two-car garage years before I ever had a lot of people to preach. I used to go down to First United Methodist Church where I had a keypad that would get me in after hours. And before I ever preached my first sermon to big crowds, I used to preach on Friday nights at 11 o'clock to a crowd of three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That was it. And I would preach my brains out in this empty sanctuary and preach Christ and preach repentance and preach harder and harder and harder. And one week the janitor was there and I didn't know it. And he said, amen. And I said, ah! <laughs> Whoa! God just amen me or was that Jesus? I don't know. But it was neither. It was the janitor. And he said, Craig, you were preaching with such power. It's like you were visualizing a thousand people. And I thought, I've got to preach harder because what he didn't know is I was visualizing 10,000 people even though there was nobody there. I want to encourage you to think big but be willing to start small because only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig the ditch. You say, God, I believe you can, and then you start where you are. God loves when we participate in his miracles, when he can see our faith because faith without works is absolutely dead. Verse 20 of 2 Kings chapter 3 says this, the next morning about the time for the offering of the sacrifice, are you ready? There it was. After they faithfully dug the ditches, the Bible says water was flowing from the direction of Edom and say it with me, and the land was filled with water. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Some of you right now, you've got a significant need in your life. And you think, if only, that, if only God would meet that, if only God would answer that prayer. Don't ever forget that your biggest need can become your biggest blessing when it drives you to depend 
on God because only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. I pray for a church full of people who will think big, but start small, believing by faith long before there's a cloud in the sky or any sign of water, that if I'll dig the ditch, God is faithful enough to send the water. Father, I pray that you would build the faith of this church, both corporately and individually, that we would be different, God, because we are in your presence. As you pray today at all of our different churches, let me just ask uh, three different questions. Question number one, I wonder how many of you, at this moment in your life, you are facing a significant need and you need prayer today. All of our different churches, every single one of you, if that's you, just by faith, God knows you're lifting your hand and knows the details, would you lift it up right now? Just all over the room, so many hands. You put your hands down for a minute. Question two, I wonder how many of you, either in this point in your life or whenever you face a need, that you want the faith to do something ridiculous if God leads you to do it, that you would have faith even to dig a ditch or whatever God would call you to do long before you see God do what he promises to do. You want God to increase your faith to the level of ridiculous faith that when he calls you to do it, you will show your faith and trust him to show his faithfulness. I hope everybody would raise your hand for this. Those who say, I want that kind of faith to honor God, would you lift up your hands right now? All over the places, thank you, hands all over. God, I pray for these two groups of people. God, for those who are in need today, God, I, I hurt with them, and obviously um, I have no idea the, the intimate details of, of every situation, but God, we thank you that you do, and that you care, and that you are here, and that you are present and you are good, and God, that you are working in all things, even though we may not see it or feel it. We put our faith in you. And God, I pray that you would give us the great honor of showing our faith to you again and again, that you would give us divine opportunities. God, when you ask us to do something that is ridiculous and makes no sense, it may be to forgive something that seems unforgivable, to love someone that seems unlovable, to give when we feel like someone should be giving to us, to trust again when we've been hurt or betrayed. God, whatever form of ditch you call us to dig, we know and acknowledge you are all-powerful. Only you can do the miracles. Only you can send the water. But God, when you call us, we will have the faith to dig a ditch. Teach us, God. Stretch our faith that we would believe you. Extend our faith and do exactly what you call us to do. As you keep praying today, Third question I'll ask in a moment. All of our different churches, it's very emotional to me to think about what God did for us. If you wanna talk about digging a ditch, if you wanna talk about doing something before you see a result, what God did for us is the greatest example of love in the history of the world. Scripture says this, that while we were still sinners, in other words, when we least deserved it, when we were mocking God, living our own way, living outside of God's plan. We were still sinning. Christ died for us. What did God do? 
God sent Jesus for us to die in our place as the sinless sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. On the third day, the stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. Jesus rose. Scripture says now, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, and that includes you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does that mean? Forgiven. God will never hold your sins against you. You are adopted into his family. You become a child of God by adoption. How do you acquire that status? It's not by works. It's not by good works. It's only by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Scripture says that we're made right with God, not by good works, but by his grace through our faith. There are those of you here, it's time for you to put your faith in God, to believe that Jesus was enough. And because of his life, you can be made right with God. At all of our different churches, those of you who say, that's me, I need his grace, I need his forgiveness today, by faith, I give my life to him. If that's you, would you lift your hands right now all over the place and say, yes, that's my prayer. Here in the middle section, both of you right back there, God bless you guys. Ma'am, up here close to me, over here in this side section back there as well. Others of you right over here, praise God for you. And here, both of you right back here together, thank God for you. Others of you, let me just meet you eye to eye, I want to see you. Others of you right back over here in this section, here toward the back. Church Online, you click right below me, right back there. Praise God for you, sir. Others today who say, yes, me too. This, both of you right back over here on this section. Would you pray with those around you? Pray, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me brand new. I believe Jesus died for me so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for new life. Today I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody cheer and welcome those born into his family. Welcome those who called on Christ as Savior and Lord.